Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. My name is Turner. It is an honor to be here. I'm from our GLR campus. We call that the greatest Little Rock. And so we're, uh, my wife and I, we are a product of James and Cody's leadership. So we went through their internship program back in 06. And um, it's cool just to be here at, at, at this campus because um, I know that the word of God is very important to this campus. I know that worship is important, discipleship is important, because that's what I saw with James and Cody as, as they took us through their internship program. And so if you love God in this place, let's give him some praise just real quick. Come on. That is why we are here. We're not here for a personality. We're not here for a person, but we're here for Jesus. And so we're going to dive into the word. Open up your Bible to Luke, the gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 7. And we're going to hang out in uh, verse 36 and just kind of hang out there. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of cool things going on in our world when it comes to worship. Um, you know, we're seeing it, I call it worship pockets. Um, you'll see it all over Instagram. And I feel like this is kind of happening our entire lives. Uh, but for me, this is the first time I've actually seen this. So you'll get something on Instagram or, or uh, Facebook because I'm not on the other things, um, where you'll just like, I saw one in the upper room, like where the upper room was, I saw there was a, a worship breakout there. In Brazil, yesterday, there was a wor uh, worship breakout in the airport. And so something is happening. The Holy Spirit is moving. And what an honor it is for you and I to be a part of this. Um, but I've just... Someone who is a part of the next generation, I've been watching this, um, intrigued by it and encouraged by it. And so it was kind of, it was a cool moment. In our, at GLR, we call it our porch time. So it's your quiet time, but we call it our porch time because our pastor, Marcus, he's old and he likes to get out on his back porch and drink his coffee. Um, and so now I'm doing that and it's absolutely amazing. But he, uh, I was on my porch time and Thinking about this, reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8, it's in the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. It's a really cool, uh, amazing story of Jesus uh, whenever he has his first sermon. But in chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8, there's these two verses that I think help us establish what is going on. Like, why is there worship breaking out? Matthew verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse eight says, blessed are those who are pure in spirit, for they will see God. So there's a desire and a hunger for purity. There's a litany of things that you could put underneath purity, um, but I think this is happening. I think there's a desire, a longing for righteousness, to be in right standing with God is what righteousness means. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not of our works 
so that no man can boast. This is what the Bible says. And so there is a, a desire um, that we are catching on to. The Lord is leading us to repentance. And there's young and old who are saying, righteousness and purity is important to me. And so when those two hang out, righteousness and purity, the spirit of the Lord is there. And so I love seeing this. God is moving um, in our church. Uh, some of our young adult ministry, they were with us uh, at our GLR campus a couple of weeks ago. We had a worship night, and we went three hours, you guys. We went to like 9.30. Young adults, they hard stop at 7.30. It's time to go eat, and they go home and go to bed, right? But that's not what happened. We stayed, and we lingered in the presence of God. And then our Conway campus a few weeks ago, their youth service went from 7 p.m., to 1.30 a.m. Yeah, whoa, is right. Those are some mad parents probably. But they, once they understood, they're like, okay, well, that's cool. And so God is moving in our church. He's moving across this world. And I just pray that we don't miss it. God use us. God uses us as a church to usher in your Holy, Holy Spirit and so as I was thinking about this, um, the only time I felt this like remain and stay kind of concept, this abiding, was whenever I'd come home from college, um, the 13 hours that I have to my name, um, I would come home and there would be uh, from my mom and my dad this, this acceptance, like we want you to be here, we, we can't wait for you to continue to stay, we hope you don't leave. Here is some food. There's an open fridge policy at mom's house. It might not be a parent or a family member. It might be a best friend where you walk into their house and you're, they're like, stay as long as you like. There's an open fridge policy. And so thinking about this, this is, this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is allowing us to feel. This You come into church, you feel this desired, I feel desired, I feel wanted, I feel needed. And then what's happening is the Holy Spirit's like, there's an open fridge policy. You go in, get exactly what you want, and then you can go and sit down on a couch and just rest, remain, and abide. You, this happens around a table. You know, we're in our table series. You go to a table, there's conversation. There's talk about um, what frustrates you, what convicts you. you you're, there's celebration at the table. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're seeing. People are resting and abiding in his spirit. And we see Jesus do this in the gospels. He brings people in. He doesn't care their background. He has people like you and I who are sinners. He brings in tax collectors who are hated. He brings in the Pharisees to show them what true and real ministry is supposed to look like. And so with this, we see this, uh, we see Jesus perform his first miracle at a table with the wedding of Cana. His first ministry, his first miracle in ministry is hospitality. What is hospitality? I want you here. I cleaned my house. I cooked this meatloaf. I made my sweet tea. I want you here. That's what the church is. That's what we're seeing. And that's what we're gonna see in this story in the book of Luke where this woman, she runs in and interrupts a dinner that this Pharisee threw for Jesus. So this particular Pharisee is curious about Jesus. A lot, of people, a lot of Pharisees, they made their mind up about Jesus, not this one, not Simon. Simon was curious, and so he brought him in 
But this woman interrupts this dinner, and it is so intense, and I can't wait to dive in and talk about it. But before we do, I want to talk about when I grew up and I was wanting to get married, I was dating girls, right? That's what you do. And I took this girl to a restaurant that I worked at. Now, if you're dating, this is the, the worst idea. Because I took her to a restaurant that I was working at. Why did I do that? Give me a reason why. Discount. It was free for me. So n- nothing off me, right? This nice restaurant, it was a nice restaurant. Brought her in, and I thought it was going to be elegant and sweet. Not a chance. The waiter, terrible. So mean. Came up to me, he's like, what do you want? I'm like, this is going to be really bad. The, the chefs, the cooks, the, the GM, everybody was messing with me. It was so terrible. Very awkward. I do not recommend this. So finally, everybody left me alone. I looked at the girl. I was like, I would like for you to be my girlfriend. And she's like, well, I'm moving to Australia in two weeks, so it's not going to happen. I'm like, well, all right. Didn't have to ask for a check, so we just left. It was really, really awkward. So much interruption. This is what happens. This woman interrupts the dinner and makes it super awkward. Let's check out the text. Luke 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We're going to take a step out of the text and give you some context. This woman, uh, typically in Jewish culture, women did not let their hair down unless they were in the presence of their husbands. This is very important because this woman comes in, and what does she do? She lets her hair down. This is what this woman is communicating to, this, to the, the men in the room and to Jesus. She is saying, Jesus is the most important person in my life. It doesn't matter who I've been with, what I've done. Because of his forgiveness, he is the most important person in my life. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him or what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So snarky, this Pharisee. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. Um, If there is a revelation that you would have for us to have today, God, I pray that you would allow us to never forget it. Let a revelation hit our hearts. Let us leave here with joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus takes this awkward moment I needed Jesus when I was in that awkward moment with that girl. I needed him. But Jesus, in this awkward moment, turns this awkward moment into a worship service. Just like we're seeing all across the world. 
little pop-up worship service. This is what happens. Um, I like soda water. I like LaCroix. And I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not ashamed. Anybody like soda water in here? All the young adults? Let's go. It's either soda water or Dr. Pepper for me. Soda water is way better. So we went to a restaurant, and we were celebrating this couple that we were getting to, we did premarital with. And we sit down. The girl asks us for a drink. Three people ask for water. And I'm already outnumbered in that moment. Does anybody like that? Everybody orders water, and you're like, kind of want a Dr. Pepper, but I'm not a people pleaser. I'm going to get Dr. Pepper. Come on. So here's the thing. I was like, I'm going to get soda water. I kid you not. This is her response. She goes, flips her hair. Oh, Mr. Soda Water in our presence. Where is Buckingham Palace? I didn't know we were in the presence of a prince. And I'm like, this is, I do not like this moment. This is so awkward. And she just lays it on thick, like even more. She fills up our water. She goes, by the way, we still don't have soda water. You know, fills up my water. I'm just like, dude, this is, this is like a trap. Like Ashton Kutcher is somewhere, right? Punked, anybody? Early 2000s. Um, and so... I did not ace it. Let me tell you, I was really mean to her. I was rude. I didn't even look at her the rest of the time. But what I want to do is I want to talk about how this woman aces it with Jesus. This woman shows us exactly how to ace it when it comes to worship. So all my note takers, she gives us two actions and three principles. Two actions and three principles. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, through Jesus Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. First action, it's just an act of our mouths. It's act of walking in here, worship services on Sunday mornings, small groups on weekdays. And the second one, is sacrifice for good of others and for ourselves. So what does that mean? It's time, effort, money. You see this in this woman. This this jar that she has, I wish I had it right here. This jar is so important to her. It has perfume in there that is supposed to lure men into her bedroom. It's super expensive. It takes a lot of money to create and make very exquisite ingredients. This woman gets to the feet of Jesus and pours it all out. Doesn't care whatsoever. She pours out her entire life. When I think of the word sacrifice, I think of the serve teams of this church. So when I came here early, I watched a lot of things happening. It's not quiet before the storm. There's a lot of things happening. You have Pastor Ricky who's, who's making sure youth middle is ready. You've got our serve teams. You have our ushers. You have people making coffee. You have people who are working in blends. You have our worship team showing up at 6.30, 6.20, around that time, and they're practicing. This is what's happening. They are setting the table. 
They are setting the table for you and I to walk in and experience and, um, uh, uh, where it's not confusing. It's not, um, there, there's not a lot going on. We can walk in here and we can focus on what God wants us to focus on. The band is making sure there's no note that is, that is wrong. They practice throughout the week to make sure that the notes are right. It's melodic. You have people in little life and kid life who are pouring into our young generation, pouring into them the word of God. They are setting the table for you and I to walk in and experience the presence of a holy God. And so what I wanna do is um, we have people in the back, our, our production team, who's making sure that I don't sound weird, that the band, you can hear them correctly. So I wanna just real quick, I wanna say thank you to everybody who serves. Can we give it up for everybody who serves? Listen, that is so important, setting the table. When you walk into a restaurant and someone has set the table, you are thankful. I was at a restaurant a couple of weeks ago. They, they did not bust the tables. They just went on to the next one. It was super weird. Thank you for setting the table. It means so much. I worked at Chuck E. Cheese once. wanted y'all to know that. <laughs> Thank you. I have a story. I didn't just want to let y'all know that. Uh, so I was the mouse, you know, <laughs> autographs after service. It is humbling role at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, everything you think happens with that suit, you are correct. It is gross. They don't wash it. Um, so here's the thing. I didn't want to do that anymore. So I went to the manager. I was like, hey, I'd love to wait some tables. I'd love to just like not do this anymore. So she's like, sure. It was more of like, leave me alone. So I went to the first table. I was like, good afternoon. Welcome to Chuck E. Cheese. My name is Turner. I'd be honored to serve you. She goes, I'd like a water and a lemon. I'm like, I'm your man. I went over to, to the kitchen. I cut a lemon. I grabbed that lemon and walked it over to her. Yes, that is what I did. I walked over to her and I held it in front of her face. And she just looked at me. And I looked back at her and I was like, ma'am, you have a part to play in this. You need to grab that lemon. And she's like, this is disgusting. So finally, I didn't put the lemon on a napkin. I didn't put the lemon like... Um, rind up. I just put it on the table like lemon down. And it, I never was in the dining room ever again. No one taught me how to do that. And so uh, just praying through this message, no one might have, no one's probably, you, you could be in here thinking like no one's taught me how to worship. I've watched people do it but no one's really taught me. I think this woman is gonna help us with a few principles. The first principle is we worship spirit to spirit. John 4, 21 through 24 says, you worship what you do not know. This is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that word, um, spirit, this is what it means. It means 
a big, deep breath of air. Like, you get that big, deep breath that feels good. That's what that means, a gasp of air. And then truth just means truth. It means reality or to be certain. So this is what happens. There's a desperation that's involved here. James, whenever we were in the internship program, took my wife and I and a bunch of naive young men and women on something that is called an eco-challenge. And an eco-challenge is, is something that the enemy invented. So an, an eco-challenge is a 100-mile hike in the Colorado Rockies. You take 17, 18-year-olds in the Colorado Rockies who are not yet um, acclimated to Colorado weather and altitude, and you take them to a place where um, there's not a lot of water, it gets pretty intense, right? So we stopped halfway because we quit, because we weren't ready for it, right? But the thing that messed with us was the fact that we, didn't not, we did not have water. We didn't know it was gonna be as bad, but what you're supposed to do is get the ice and the snow and put it in the water and let the water or the snow melt, and that is your water. Here's the thing, snow doesn't melt if the, if the air is too cold. So we just had snow in Nalgene's. We were so desperate. So desperate for water. We just, we were like, we're not going anymore. The moment we got to our base camp, I went straight to the water and I was so thankful. This is what it means to worship spirit to spirit. This is what it means to worship spirit and in truth. There is a desperation that this woman has. I don't care who's around me. I don't care what is next. I just got to get to the feet of Jesus. I was so desperate for water. I didn't care who was around me. What was next? I had to get that sip of water. That's what being desperate before Jesus looks like. I don't care what I look like. I just gotta get to the feet of Jesus. And in desperation, she's at the feet of Jesus and she does what, what David talks about and what Matthew talks about. She's thirsty for righteousness. So she gets to the feet of Jesus. Let's be desperate for him. There's this context of our generation where, you know, you have all these worship pockets popping up. This is supposed to happen, by the way, all the lights. This, this is all a part of the plan. Um, I couldn't handle it. My ADD was like, I need to reference that. I'm sorry. I went really long. I'm proud of myself. Thank you, sir. Bless you. So there's this context of our generation um, where they are desiring that desperation of that quenching that thirst. But what's happening is they're going to different places and it's not Jesus. They're going to social media. They're going to friends. They're going to places where they think they're gonna get that, that, that sip and it does not happen. It's like you're going to get a gasp of air and you don't get that air that's what's happening with this next generation. So here's, as a next-gen pastor, my challenge to you and my hope for you is that as we um, continue to allow young people like myself come up here and speak, lead worship, give us grace, allow room. I'm thankful for James and Cody understanding this concept. 
Because if it wasn't for their leadership and their discipleship, I would not be here. And so I'm thankful for people like that, and I'm thankful for this church that allows that. So her worship does not mean she loses her dignity. Principle number two, worship loses inhibition. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her ointment. So what is usually customary to a humble worshiper becomes irrational to a prideful worshiper. Simon was frustrated with her admiration towards God. What is Simon saying? Simon's saying, this is just not my style of worship. I'm uncomfortable. I'm, this is out of my comfort zone. Some people worship to the degree where they don't want to offend their comfort zone or tarnish their reputation. This woman does not care. She's at the presence of Jesus. So what is this woman saying? This woman's saying, I want to worship and I want to be remembered as someone who worships. I don't want to be remembered for my past. I want to be remembered for right now, which is I'm at the feet of Jesus. I'm at the feet of Jesus. And so here's what has to happen. You have to learn to abandon your control. You have to abandon your control, whether it's your finances or material things, family member, a job. Our story, my story is I have a family member who is, who is backslidden, who is wayward. And it's a cyclical process. I had to get to a point where I was like, I'm just going to abandon my control of this. God, I give you this person. So just be thinking about that. As we go into our altar call, the question I'm going to be asking is what is the one Two, three things that we need to abandon in order to get to a place where we're desperate before Jesus. 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 16, verse 20 says this, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt from him. We, as a church, we cannot just sit there from our window and watch the presence of God move. Our job as the church is to get on the dance floor. David was dancing. He was dancing before the Lord because the presence of God was there. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit was in the Ark of the Covenant. And here's what's happening. Michael is looking from her window and frustrated with his admiration towards God. She was in so much control of her life. She was frustrated. She was jealous. We cannot do this. We can't be someone who just sits at the window and watches the, the Lord move. So here's the thing, David was desperate before the king. But here's, here's, there's a big turning point right here. This isn't a matter of outward expression. So as we're talking about worship, watching her worship, it's not a matter of outward expression, it's a matter of your heart. 
There has to be a shift in your heart. And so we're not asking all the men in this room to go into their attic and get their kingly ephod. We know some of you have one. That's not what we're asking. We're asking you to do this, to understand that your expression for worship is connected to the level of freedom that you are operating in. Your level of expression of worship is connected to the level of freedom that you are operating in. And here's the thing. Your freedom comes from giving God full control. Giving everything, abandoning everything. That is what it looks like to worship. And as you worship and as you abandon control, there's going to be a move of the Spirit inside of you. And so you might go from just standing still to lifting your hands. But you cannot get in this box of it's just about about outward expression. Principle number three, worship attracts the world to Jesus. Her reputation was in the desperation of Jesus. And so now everything she's doing, she's attracting the world to Jesus. Why? Because we're reading about it right now right? We're talking about it right now. And that, that's amazing to me. Luke seven thirty seven says this, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. You cannot fight me on this. This is, this is truth. There are three amazing smells in this world. The first one is a grill, getting fired up. Come on, baby. Number two is a campfire. Not like standing next to it, but like if they're doing it over there. Because you get gross, you have to wash your clothes and all that kind of stuff. Number three is mama's homemade chocolate chip cookies. Lord, thank you. Those are the three greatest smells, right? They're so amazing because you will be driving down the road and you'll step on your brake and you're like, man, I bet you the Carmichael's are grilling. I'm going to go check on that. Turn around, go back, and you're like, hey, guys, just wanted to say what's up. What are y'all doing? Y'all grilling something? Is there an open fridge policy in this home? Please? So here, but here's what's cool for me is I think about these, these smells. Smells are connected to memories, right? There's nostalgia connected to these smells. So when I think of campfires, I think of 1998, Lake Wachita, with my mom and dad on the pontoon boat, driving to an island and just docking and just having a blast. There's, there's amazing smells to it. There's also, there's probably frustrating memories with smells. There's a frustrating smell for this woman. The moment she cracks open that, that jar, those memories pop in and there's a Rolodex of sin and frustration. In the room, there are men that she's probably slept with. Those men are probably felt with shame, frustration. So here's the thing. Jesus is pure. He is holy. He's not thinking those thoughts. What is he thinking? He's thinking repentance. When this woman cracks open that jar, the, the memories, the things that flow in his head is repentance. Repentance 
smells like worship for Jesus. No more masking the stench of sin. The perfume that she used in her profession as a prostitute would become the token of her profession of faith when she poured out every last drop at the feet of Jesus. That jar was her token of faith saying, I am thankful for what you have done. Jesus' forgiveness is the reason why she's so undone before him. A couple of years ago, my wife and I, we, we experienced something pretty, pretty rough. We experienced a, a, a miscarriage. And, you know, I've got a very soft heart for this. As, as my wife was walking through this, one of the things that she con- continued to say was, don't give me this story, God. I don't want this to be part of my story. But God will always give us a way out in our frustration. He gives us hard things so we can be at his feet. That's the only reason he allows those things to happen, so we can be at his feet. And so it was a few years ago, we're at GLR. My wife is at, we're we're sitting there and the pastor Rick walks over to her and just prays over her. And the way he prays, I I could barely hear him, but the way he prays, I knew something was going on. Like I knew he knew what was going on. I don't know if it was just through word of mouth or just through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, but it was happening. And the thing that I will always remember is how my wife responded in that moment. And it reminds me of this woman and how she responded in her moment. What was my, this is what my wife did. She got on her knees before Jesus and she worshiped her king. She abandoned all control. She lost all inhibition. I don't care who's around me. I don't care what's going on. All I care about is to be at the feet of Jesus. Whenever we are repenting, whenever we are undone before Jesus, it is a fragrant offering to him is what the word says. There's this verse in Psalm 22. It says, you are yet holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned means to be sitting down. And so going back to this, the beginning of this message, people are resting and sitting in his presence. It's because whenever we are righteous, whenever we are pure, when we desire to be righteous, when we desire to be pure, the Bible says that God, he sits and he abides and he rests on our praises. He rests on our frustrations. He rests on our, um, uh, the moments where our heart is hurting. We just gotta be undone before him. We have, to be a, we have to abandon our lives to him. So let's close our eyes. We're gonna have our, our prayer team. You guys can actually go ahead and stand up for me. Our prayer team's gonna come up. But the the question I referenced earlier was, what are you wanting to abandon? You might not be a believer. You might not know who Jesus is. This is what what you have to do. You just have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You have to believe that he is a real person. By faith, 
that he came to this earth, he lived a life that is perfect, but he died a death as though he wasn't perfect. He died for us, he died for our sin. He took on every sin, past, present, and future, all on him. And the Bible says he rose again on the third day. That's what becoming a Christian means. And so I know our prayer team would be honored to walk you through that. But what I wanna do is with boldness and with faith, what I want us to do is just, I want us to raise our hand if you feel like there's something you haven't abandoned to Jesus, given to Jesus. I'm not gonna count. I just want you to do it out of faith. If this is you. So what I would love for you to do, if you raise your hand, the next step is to talk to somebody about this. Confess your sin to one another and you will be healed, the Bible says. So we have our crosses where you can write down a prayer request. We have communion in the back. We have our prayer team ready to pray for you. What are you gonna abandon? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Allow us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.